0: On the 1st of February 2021, the Burmese military launched a coup to take power away from its democratically elected parliament and its leader, Aung San Suu Kyi. The very next day, an explosive movement arose to protect democracy called the Civil Disobedience Movement. Inspired by other democracy movements in Hong Kong and Thailand and anchored in the decades-long struggle against military rule in Burma, hundreds of thousands of people have taken to the streets. So how did this movement arise? And how does it relate to the longer struggle for democracy in Burma? Today's chat is with long-time Burmese pro-democracy activist, Mint Chow. Mint explains the long history of the struggle for democracy and shares some details that you don't hear much about in the mainstream media, like, for instance, his time fighting in the jungles of the Thai-Burmese border. He explains what's happening now and the stakes that come from battling the military. I know many of us talk about the shift to authoritarianism around the world. Mint has struggled with brutal authoritarianism his whole life. There are lessons here for us all. Burma shows us that if democracy can be crushed somewhere, then it is vulnerable everywhere. This is a struggle that needs our support. I want to thank AFIDA, Union Aid Abroad, for connecting Changemakers with Mint and for all their solidarity work with Burma. You can find out more at aphed So, let's go. Changemakers is hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to catch all our episodes. Change is produced by Zander Shavaniv. Our audio producer is Jules Walker. Our series sponsor is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers, and community campaigners, so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au/policy-lab. Today's episode was supported by AFIDA Union Aid Abroad, the global justice organisation of the Australian union movement. You can find out more at apheda.org.au. Like us on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast and check out changemakerspodcast.org for transcripts and updates on all of our stories. And don't forget to take a look at our organising school if you want to take a deeper dive into the art of changemaking. Mint, I am honoured to have you here on the Changemakers podcast. Welcome to Changemakers.
1: My pleasure as well.
0: Thanks, Mint. It's such a hard time for anyone connected to Burma, especially someone like you who has fought for a democratic Burma most of your life. We really appreciate the time they've given us today. But I was wondering if you could explain to our audience to begin with, if you could explain to them... What kind of change maker are you?
1: We want Burma to be a truly democratic, fairer union in the future.
0: Well, that's nothing but clear. That doesn't seem like too much to ask, eh? Hey?
1: Yeah, because in Burma there are so many nationalities living together very peacefully. Without establishing democratic, fairer union of Burma, we cannot bring
0: peace. So some of our listeners might know a lot about Burma, what is now called Myanmar, and some probably don't know very much. I'm hoping, Mint, that you, in explaining your own lifelong struggle around democracy in Burma, might be able to shed some more light so people in Australia and beyond get a sense of the deep, long movement for, for democracy in Burma. So, to begin, tell us where that journey started for you.
1: As I was born and raised in Karen State, where there was protracted civil war for many years since independence in 1948. So, I witnessed a lot of atrocities committed by the Burmese military in the civil war zones, even the big cities in Karen State. So, that made me interested in politics and peace and the sufferings of the people every day. So when I was a medical student, I witnessed the brutal crackdown by the military regime against student protests in Rango in 1974 and 1976. So I'm so sorry for the fallen leaders who fight for democratic country in the future And then when I became a doctor in 1982, I supported the student movement behind the scene. So I was arrested by secret police and detained and interrogated and tortured in the detention center for a few days. When I was released, I realized that there were so many activists, doctors, intellectual students disappear without informing their family members. Maybe a few months, maybe a few years, Maybe nobody knows where they are. So that situations shocked me. So I decided to take part in the demonstrations in 1988. So the first nationwide pro-democracy uprising broke out in 1988, I actively took part in the demonstration like this time. So this is the first time I took part in the massive peaceful demonstration In the country, unfortunately, the military seeks power and brutally cracked down. As a result, 3,000 protesters were killed. Many hundreds got injuries. More than 10,000 people, including me, were forced to flee to the border areas. So we took up arms to fight against the military dictatorships. This is my background.
0: Wow. Right. Okay. So... Can I take us back a little bit to the eighth of august eighty eight 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 a very famous day and time in the social movements for democracy in in Burma, where students and others came together to really rise up against the the regime? I'm wondering if you can paint a picture for us about what it was like can you Can you take us there? What was it like?
1: Yes. As far as I remember, in 1988, there was no democratic government. Only military proxy, one-party dictatorships in our own country for 26 years. And because of 26-year political repressions, economic mismanagement, the people, very angry, took to the street and abrepsy broke out spontaneously. There was no political parties. No collective leaderships, no human rights, no media, no information technologies. A demonstration in Oka without systematic organization. So every towns and cities and townships, the people took to the street, they show they want a new democratic country. So what I mean is no leadership no action planned, no strategic goals of the people. So what I mean is the demonstrations happened without any concrete plans. Mm. So at the time, the military watched very carefully. They changed their proxy government one to another. So they changed three consecutive proxy governments during two months. So finally, they seized power. Actually, they took power from their proxy government, you know, back to them. So quite sadly, once they declare martial law and they seek power, they brutally cracked down the peaceful demonstration, not like this. So as a result, 3,000 people were killed. So few days later, Many thousand people fled to the Thai Bama Bora, Indian Bama Bora, China Bama Bora. They were forced to take up arms to fight against the military dictatorships.
0: What so was that? Ex- can I ask? What was that experience like? I can only imagine how difficult it was.
1: At the time, we didn't know the situation on the Thai Bama Bora. So what we noticed, this regime is very brutal. If we cannot escape from the atrocities. We must be in prison, we must be executed in the prison. So we have no choice to flee the country, to join other ethnic groups who fight against the military dictatorship for their you know, autonomy. So we didn't know the situation on the time Mbama border. Once we arrived there, we faced untold hardships, no food, no medicine, no enough clothes to fight very bad weather terrible malaria, and so many infections.
0: And how long were you there? 12 years. 20 years? 12, yeah. 12 years. What did you do? What, what, did you are a doctor? Did you use your skills? Did you do, uh, what else, like, what did you do serving the community on the Thai-Burma border?
1: I played Julia Rhodes in the Brutomoxi movement on the Thai-Burma border, first as a doctor, you know, I serve as a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> and well, also a freedom, freedom fighter, you know. Yeah. So I attended military training to defend myself and my people. So I went to the combat zones and tried to save my comrades in the fighting with the Burmese military troops. So I witnessed a lot of you know tragic things. What I mean is I witnessed atrocity of the Burmese troops in ethnic control areas, the civilian people suffer the most because they cannot defend themselves. So, what I like to emphasize is the price of the people in the Thai Bama Bora areas terrible, terrible, mm-hmm. without food, without medicine, without stable accommodation. All the time, when the Burmese regime destroys their villages, they were forced to flee to the mountainous jungle area as an internally displayed person for many months and many years. So I witnessed a lot of tragic things during the past 12 years Mm. in my life.
0: So can I ask, on the border, you mentioned that there were lots of different ethnic groups from across Burma gathered together on the border. Was that, a space where people found themselves building relationships or was it a space for just survival during such difficult times?
1: Yeah, before 1988, there was pro-democracy movement very secretly inside the country. At the same time, the armed struggle for autonomous state by the ethnic insurgent groups. So we never combined that struggle as one. So because of 1988 uprising, the students fled to the Thai Mama Bora, Indian Mama Bora and China Mama Bora. The ethnic armed groups welcomed the students and young people from the cities. So they understand each other. Now we are victims of the military regime. So our common enemy is military dictatorship. So we decided to combine democratic struggle plus ethnic struggle for greater autonomy. So it is a very important issue since then we work together to fight for not only democratic but also Federal Union Obama, which can guarantee equality and self-determination of all ethnic nationalities.
0: Wow. That is quite extraordinary when a liberation movement against the state becomes a liberation movement between the people. So you're now based in Australia. When did you come to Australia?
1: Interesting, yes. After a 12-year fight against the Burmese military regime by struggle, my family were forced to flee to the Taibama border to meet me. Finally, we have no choice to make family reunion on the Taibama border and face a lot of hardships. So next five years... My family were arrested in Thailand as an illegal immigrant people because no documents, no passports. So my family were detained by Thai police officers in detention center with other political leaders where I work for them. So finally, we are at risk to be deported back to Burma. Oh. So the Burmese community in Australia are very concerned about our safety and well-being, they lobby Australian government to offer us asylum seeker status from Thailand to resettle in Australia. So a few months later, we are granted to come to the Australia as a refugee to resettle with my family. So once we arrive in Australia, I left my family back in Australia again, and I left for Taibamabora again to carry on my fight. So wow. in 1990, 1998 June, my family and I arrived in Australia together, but I think one month later, I left for Taibamabora back again to, con- to continue my fight over there. So my family lived in Australia. I extensively travel around the world to lobby international communities to support our cause by all possible ways and means. Yeah. Until (laughs) until
0: 2016. It slowly started to work, yeah? Like there were changes, changes from 2010 onwards. There were elections. Eventually... Aung San Suu Chi and the NLP, they were elected to, to government. It's extraordinary. How did, how did that make you feel? How has that changed?
1: I strongly believe that defiance of the people, the leaderships of Aung San Suu Chi, and Nationally for Democracy, plus international pressure and actions, we achieved our goal. However, we didn't satisfy, you know, that camp, that kind of outcome because even Aung San Suu Kyi won the election in 19, uh, 2015, November, she has no 100% freedom because the military already drafted and approved pro-military constitutions that guarantee the military to take over power over legislative, executive, and judicial powers. So that constitution prevent Aung San Suu Kyi to rule the country properly. So as you all know, they already you know took 25% of parliamentary seats in the parliament. So Aung San Suu Kyi declared, she would try to amend the constitution, however, without support of the 25% of the military representatives in the parliament, she cannot change. So at the time we feel that even We achieve our goal to a certain extent, our struggle not complete yet. We have to carry out this struggle until we change the constitution.
0: And so here we are, it's 2021, and uh, we're making this recording in the very end of February, but on the 1st of February, something quite terrible and ominous happened. Can you explain it?
1: Honestly, I didn't believe the military, you know, relinquished their power after 19, uh, 2015 election. So I'm very suspicious about the motives of the military because I learned history of the military. They have committed to grip the power with iron grip as long as possible. I mean, they already adopted military supremacy over civilian supremacy. So they watched the political developments under the rule of Aung San Suu Kyi once their proxy party lost the election very badly, they decided to seek the power. So when I heard about the military coup this time on the 1st of February 2020, I wasn't surprised by the news. I already expected that would happen sooner or later after the you know, 2020 elections. So I carefully analyzed the situation that but this time, we cannot lose, because, as I said to before, in 1988, no freedom, no human rights. People live with fear under the repressive military rule. No media, no information technology. You know, all generations keep quiet because they fear of being persecuted by the military. No leading political parties, no unity among different forces. But this time, we got elected democratic government led by Aung San Suu Kyi for five years. No fear at all. We enjoyed freedoms, human rights, and the media, local and international media, play a very important role in this movement. And the young generation we call... Generation Z, they have a lot of skills and knowledge and motivation to fight for their rights. So these are the strengths of this movement. So we got elected government, we won election again, we got parliament elected by the people in the 2020 November election. The government was recognized by international community Big difference is in 1988, no media attention, no international attention, because Burma was isolated for 26 years. This time, international community pay attention very well to the democratic transition to Burma, and the young generations are very motivated. So these are the strengths of this time.
0: Okay, so this is where we want to really dive in because. Since the 1st of February, uh, there has been some quite extraordinary social movement activity in Burma, the likes of which we don't often see in countries anywhere. And I in no way um, uh, pretend to be an expert about this, but I know that you are. And so what I'm wanting to do is to take you through talking about the elements and the the nature of what has been going on in Burma and and also sort of exploring how it's both similar to and different from the movement that you've come from over over the many decades of struggle so to start tell us about the civil disobedience movement the CDM in 1988
1: a scene, these civil servants stopped working for the military however no civil disobedience movement there at the time. Nobody led that movement. So the civil servants, they think themselves, oh, this time is very important to us to stop working for the military. However, because of repressions and because of fear, they went back to their offices later on. But this time, the former student leaders, Minko 9, launched very specific civil disobedient movement. And they organized very active medical doctors and other professionals to join CDN movement systematically. So this is a quite different, this time the leaderships, and systematic civil disobedient movement. So because of that, other professional follow suit today, not only Medical professional, but also other professionals, you know, join the CDN movement, that is a threat to the military regime. So they cannot run the country properly at this stage. Mm. So there's a reason they put pressure on the civil servants to come back to work.
0: But civil servants are refusing. They're exercising civil disobedience.
1: Even the Civil servants who join the CDM movement launched name change campaign against the civil servants who don't join the CDM movement. Yeah. It's a very effective.
0: So we see the scale of the movement. I mean, we see it on our televisions. You know, massive strikes of nurses and doctors, protests in the street, red ribbons, activity everywhere. What's your favourite? Like, what's your you know the thing that you've relished, the the CDM do? This time,
1: I saw four different groups organised different times of campaigns to what the same goal. The same goal means to collapse the civil service. Even military hold on power, you know, by using their army, their security forces, they cannot control the people. They cannot run the government. So, this time, number one, the parliamentarians elect how the virtual conference they formed committee representing the Union Parliament, they act as a genuine a democratic parliament. So they formed CRPH and they reinstated the President Wei is president Aung San Suu Kyi as state consular. It means we still have government led by President Wei So this is a leading figure. So the CRPH is acting behalf for the government right now. So what I mean is we have strong leadership. Yeah. And this supported the CDM movement launched by former student leaders, Minko Konai. He supported The pot banking campaigns launched by individual citizens of Burma. At the same time, they also form a committee, each and every township, to maintain their security by themselves. It means the military government cannot control the townships. The people control their township by themselves. So that's a very I think in harmony, all happened in harmony at the same time. So the people are very angry. So the leader said that you had to express your disagreement with military coup by banging on the post and band every night at 8 p.m. This is defiance by the people. So it made them motivated. It made them brave enough. These are the different campaigns, but they have same goal: yeah. to make the military regime collapse.
0: There are so many dynamics going on. There's, you know, modelling uh, the government that they should have by reinstating the the previous government, you know, prefiguring what democracy needs to be again in in Burma. Then there's the massive mobilizations in the streets. There's the activity across all the provinces of of Burma. There's just so many intersecting elements, so much symbolism, so many different traditions working together. One of the things that has struck me about the dynamics is that, at least as an observer, some of the activity that I see on the, on the television screen in Burma reminds me of the kind of uh, mobilisation and activism, even to the point of yellow helmets, that we saw in Hong Kong and so many cities around the world. Do you see that there is learning between these different democracy struggles, you know, Thailand, Hong Kong, Burma, other places? Do you see that resonance? Yes.
1: The people of Burma learned lessons from different countries as well as lesson from 88 uprising as well. Yeah. So – as I said to you before, massive peaceful demonstration across a country cannot topple the military regime. Pop-Bengi campaign cannot topple the military regime. However, civil disobedience movement can topple the regime under the leadership of parliamentarians.
0: It's quite clear. Completely. And you know, there's there's this has been written about Erica Chennaworth, who writes about Democracy uprisings uh, across the world, and has a, a study of, of of literally, you know, over a hundred, you know, in inverted commas, democracy revolutions established in the, her study that it was the nonviolent movements that were much more successful and lasting. And we can see that nonviolence is a strategy being something that we know works, as we see it unfolding in Burma. And so, it's a pretty difficult adversary that you face, you know, the, the Burmese military. They are brutal and uh, cruel and they uh, shoot and kill protesters. How is the movement, how does the movement prepare and plan and respond to an adversary like that?
1: The people of Burma are fighting for democratic government taking enormous risk at this time, but the military regime are underestimate the role of younger generation. So this time, the generation says are leading massive demonstrations across the country every day. They got enormous support from grassroots people, so they are leaders. So they have no fear. They said. We are fighting for our future, not for the party, not for the organizations, for us, for our future. They are very committed to fight for their future. At the same time, they have a lot of strategies. Draw attention from international community by showing their anger, their desire, and their willingness to fight for democracy. At the same time, they declare that they would listen to the instructions in order of the elected government, elected parliamentarians and Aung San Suu Kyi as well. So they clearly see that Aung San Suu Kyi and the NAD is a leader. So they have their own leaders. They support the movement by all possible ways and means, but they demand international assistance, international mm. pressure. So they call on the international community to put pressure on the military regime to relinquish their power and to restore democratic government, to honor the election result, and to convene the parliament as soon as possible. This is a message to international community. So what I mean is this time, domestic pressure and international pressure can work together to topple the military regime.
0: Okay, let's talk about uh, the role of international support. So tell us why it's important, how it's important. Um, And when you do, like I'm interested to get your perspective not only on the role of state actors intervening and playing a role in Burma, but also non-state actors, civil society organisations and other networks in countries supporting the movement in Burma.
1: When they learned lessons from the past, they realized that the main political force inside Burma is the most important. But we need assistance from overseas Burmese community as well as international community. So I think the political forces inside Burma will maintain their struggle until they achieve their goal. But at the same time, they would draw attention from international community by one way or another, particularly United Nations Security Council. So -hmm. this time, the UNSC issued a statement calling for the release of all detainees to respect election results, to respect way of the people and aspirations of the people. So this time UNSC statement is stronger than the previous time, but it's not enough. So the people inside Burma believe that they had to step up their actions to call on the international community including Australia mm. to take firm and effective actions against military regime until they relinquish their power.
0: Okay so what do you think the impact will be like do you think that international actors international countries will act you know Australia and Japan have just come out and said that they're going to do something in relation to Burma. Do you think that that will happen? What's your take on on the impact and the actual role of international support at a time like this?
1: According to my past experiences, I don't believe so. However, international pressures can play a very effective role in our movement. They cannot topple the military regime, as I said to you before. Mm. But they play a very significant role in our movement. That's the reason we call for international pressure against the generals. One day, maybe sooner or later, the international actors will work together to take coordinated actions against the Burmese general to enter negotiation with Ro Aung San Suu Chi and Democratic Forces in Burma. They only focus on negotiations, compromise, and national reconciliation. They won't talk about the regime straight away because China, Russia, ASEAN play differently. So this time US, UK, and European Union will work with the ASEAN to get concerted actions, maybe mutual agreement to deal with Burma issues very diplomatically. So. We must be patient because this is new scenario for our movement. So, at least we can get enough political pressure. It will be very good for our movement. Mm. So we can combine international pressure and domestic pressure. I'm sure we can topple the regime.
0: And and so, what I'm hearing in all of this is that the anchor for all this change is the local Burmese movements and organisations connected across the different ethnic communities, building out from that base powerful international support, both in international movements and international state actors.
1: Yes, this time the ethnic armed groups supported this civil disobedient movement very well. And they said they will protect the people who join CDM movement if they are in trouble. So at the same time, inside and outside, Burmese community raised a lot of funds to support the civil servants who join CDM movement. So they don't need to worry about their livelihood, yeah. financial issues, we will support Maybe one year, two years, it doesn't matter. We are very committed to doing this.
0: Well, you've been committed your whole life to doing this. So my last question is a question that invites you to reflect. When you look back, when you look at now, but also when you cast your mind back to the decades of involvement in working for democracy, is there a key lesson that stands out for you, that has helped you move forward and keep this work going forward? Yes.
1: Before 1988, no leadership, no unity among the people. They fear everything because they live under repressive rule for 26 years, too long. Nobody dared to rise up. This time, as I said to you before, people have no fear. They have very strong leadership led by Aung San Suu Kyi. They voted for the NLD to form a government, democratic government, and new generations, very brief, when compared with old generation, like my generation. They have skills and knowledge and strategies, not like our generation. So when I analyzed and compare, you know, today's situation in 1980 situations, a lot of strengths rather than weaknesses. Another thing is if you enjoy your freedom, human rights, you don't want to lose again. In my time, we never ever enjoy human rights and freedom. What we learned is fear, repressions, human rights violations. You know, involuntary disappearance, nobody knows you disappear because military kidnaps you from anywhere and you can be killed, you can disappear without informing your families. This time, information technology, what I said is 54 million Burmese, whether they're educated or not, it doesn't matter. They are using smartphone they learned how to use smartphone from their children. So they effectively use their smartphone and Facebook and other social network to disseminate information straight away. That made international community a lot. These are the strengths. So when I analyzed that, in my time, we have a lot of weaknesses. No strong leadership, no unity, no strong generation like my generation, no knowledge, no international attention, only repression inside the country. This time, everything is different. Now the people in Burma learn previous lessons and they create another atmosphere without fear. So I strongly believe that the people are brave enough right now. And the new generations are smart enough, smarter than our generation. Even the whole population recognized they are leaders of the movement. So this is a difference between the 1988 and 2021. Because of that, the military are reluctant to crack down brutally because you have to case so many people in the street, millions of people in different cities, how can you kill them all? And the whole international community watch very closely, every minute, every hour. They dare not to crack down very brutally. That's the reason they use soldiers to portray as a police officer, policeman, to deal with the demonstrators, maybe tricky ways. So until now, they don't use. The military to crack down because they want to use the police force to crack down by one way or another. It means the people will think that police force are very bad. Military is so good, totally different. The people understand their motives. Finally, they would start crack down by using the army. So we are aware of that motives. Mm. That plans so we are ready to face crackdown, maybe sooner or later.
0: Wow, you know what i what I I hear in your hope is that you see such strength in the movement now. Like I, I would also add that I think you completely are underselling the contribution of your generation and, and yourself in this space. But I hear what you're saying. But the biggest thing I hear is this hope and belief in the strength of a movement of young people. And you see it in Burma. You know, I, you know, I think we all can see it in places like Hong Kong and in Australia with cl- climate strikers in, in Santiago around transport fees and then more broadly in Beirut, like so many movements where young people are leading, leading, leading this struggle for democracy and young people leading that struggle.
1: Yeah, I strongly believe that the bravery and defiance of the people inside the country and international pressure can topple the regime sooner or later.
0: Yes, that's the mix. That's the mix. That's the thing for us to learn and take away. Let's hope you're right. Let's hope that this happens. And look, let it also be said that we might come back to you in a bit of time, in a few months some point to find out how it's gone and what what we've learned thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure
1: okay bye
0: changemakers is hosted by me amanda tattersall remember to subscribe to the podcast to catch all our episodes and don't forget the back catalogue filled with stories and chats with wonderful people changemakers is produced by Xander shivani our audio producer is jules Bukura. Our series sponsor is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy lab. Like us on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast and check out changemakerspodcast.org for transcripts and updates on all of our stories. We also run a fabulous Facebook chat group Changemaker Chats on Facebook. Search it up, my friends, where you can meet and exchange ideas with other listeners. And don't forget to take a look at our organizing school if you want to take a deeper dive into the art of changemaking.